Welcome to The Good Divorce Show, where we can help you learn how to navigate the journey of divorce with less conflict, less debt, and equip you not to just get divorced, but also learn how to be divorced. Your host, certified divorce coach Karen McNenny, shares her wealth of knowledge, gets advice from other relationship experts, and interviews couples who learn how to have a good divorce, so you can too. Now here's your host, Karen. Well, hello. Thank you for joining me. I am Karen McNenny, your good divorce coach. And here on the Good Divorce Show today, I want to focus on what it is to be one family that lives across two homes and how you can best function in your new normal. So maybe you've already made it to the other side of the divorce process. The ink is dry. The finances are divided. And now you have to function in this new reality of one family, two homes, which is really what I like to craft for all my clients as a divorce coach. It's not just the getting divorced part. It's now how do we exist as a divorced family? So let's start with one of the first questions that clients position to me, which is how do we schedule? What should the schedule look like? What are all the options? How do we know if it's the right one for us? Well, I like it when my clients actually ask, which is the right one for us, because that's where we're going to start. This is very specialized and what I call client-centered. And not only is it going to be different for every family in your circumstances, but it's actually going to change over time as your children age, right? A toddler needs something very different than a teenager who has keys to the car and is coming and going as they want anyway. So be thinking about your age of children. And generally speaking, when we're thinking of babies, toddlers, anyone under the age of five, haven't started school yet, we're going to do shorter stents in each home, typically three days, maybe four days. And if you are just entering into your two family or two household existence, Those first couple weeks might only be like two nights, the little tasters. Have you moved into two new homes or is there still the family home um, that is being retained by you or your spouse as kind of a home base? And just like anything, a gradual buildup to what is actually a very significant change for our children can be so helpful. So know that you may have a standard schedule that you are shifting to, but you also might have a transitional schedule as you begin life in two homes. For toddlers, and it might even be that you've got a baby that's nursing, um, you know, Obviously, during those early, early uh, first 12 to 24 months, connection through the biology of the mother, because we happen to show up with the uterus and mammary glands, is probably going to take precedent. But in no way do we want to start to erode the connection between father and child, whether you're in one home or not. Just because you're the one nursing, just because you're the one that gave birth, we still want to grow that attachment relationship to dad as well. Or maybe it's another mother. Maybe you are a same-sex couple or you're two men that have adopted. Um, We're going to be thinking about all of those nuances of what's going to be best for the child. 
Now, once you get into school age and you're up and running and everyone is accustomed uh, to the transitioning, and we'll talk about that uh, in after our first break, but let's stick with scheduling for a moment. And, and maybe you have heard, you know, three, four, four, three, or five, two, two, five, or week on, week off. Now, I'll tell you what, I remember early on in my own journey, my kids were five and seven, and I was chatting with a member of the community who had been divorced for some time. I'm like, well, what do you all do? And he said, oh, our kids spend a month in each home and they transition every month. And I thought, are you crazy? That is insane. That sounds terrible. Well, he had high schoolers. I had young school-aged children. And so we stuck with a three, four alternating weekends so that we would each have the ability to participate in the school day, the activities during the week, uh, being involved in homework routine. But then we also knew that we would have a weekend when we could do adventures and play um, with our kiddos. Now, a 5225 is a schedule in which you are doing two nights with one parent, and then the child moves to two nights with the other parent, but it extends three nights onto that weekend and becomes a five. And so that's another way which we can keep shorter duration in each home, but we have alternating weekends for the parents. Now, as we began with those shorter stints, it was probably about mid-school, right? Fifth, sixth grade. For some of you, it might be seventh grade. And our kids came to us and said, can we do longer stretches? We're starting to feel like a ping pong ball back and forth. And and they end up with you know more gear or more things that are precious to them that they want going with them from household to household. And and so it was really following the lead of our children when they said, we're ready to go to a week and a week, which honestly gave my heart a little gripping because I thought, I, I don't know if I can go seven days without having my children in my house. It it shifts all sorts of things, uh, psychically as well as logistically, but nonetheless, right? What is in the best interest of the child? What are they showing in terms of their developmental age? And what are they requesting from this arrangement? They certainly did not ask to be raised across two homes. So I am a big believer, adults, that we need to do everything that we can that is appropriate to accommodate our children and their needs. So we went to a week on, week off. Now, here are some ideas about how you can still have a touch point or several touch points with your child during the week that is perhaps your off week. So for instance, maybe you become the carpool parent and any carpools that are happening before and after school or activities that the week where they are not in residence with you, you take on the carpooling. And kids are so funny, you know, they get in the back seat and they start having a conversation and they think they're in a bubble. And just because you're in the front seat, looking out the front door, like you can't hear them or out the front window, which we all know is not the case. But this is part of why I love having my kids in the car and driving them from location to location. And if it's not a carpool with other friends, it might just be that you are the shuttle parent during the off week. 
I know one family who every morning, uh, the rather than putting the kid on a bus or having their child in a carpool, they've decided when I'm the off-duty parent, I really would like to be the shuttle parent. And then you get one-on-one time, even if it's a touch point, so that there is a thread of consistency and connection with both parents. Now, here's another way that you can find a touch point with your child during their non-residential time with you, which is to simply volunteer in their classroom, at their school, or with their activities. Maybe you coach their soccer team. Uh, maybe you go on, uh, into the classroom every Friday and you're the storyteller, or maybe you are the teacher helper, but at least it gives you, or you're a recess duty assistant and support. So there's lots of ways to become a volunteer that shows up inside their life. And it just creates a consistency and an opportunity to look forward to seeing your child. Now, we talked about this carpool shuttle option, but it might also be that one parent either isn't working or has a more flexible schedule or a swing shift or is working part-time, and they become available during the day around 3, 3.34 when most kids are getting out of school. And the other parent perhaps is working full-time or has a more demanding job and typically isn't free until 5.30 or 6. So that's another opportunity where you can decide as a couple, as co-parents, I should say, but a couple of parents, um, that child always goes home after school to, whether it's residential or non, always goes to mom's house or to dad's house. Um, And in doing so, they have consistency that after school, I always know what bus I'm taking. I always know where I get off. I know whose house I'm walking to. And I have snacks and homework time or a play date. And that becomes very predictable for the child uh, every day after school. Now, another opportunity to have touch points with your child is, well, what I call it's special occasion date night. So if you have one or more children, or I'm sorry, if you have two or more children, this can be really beneficial because your children are about to go from a two-parent household to a one-parent household. And honestly, your attention, your time, your resources of energy can get depleted. There is a lot on your shoulder when you're a single-parent household. And being a single parent, in my mind, is distinctly different than being a single-parent household. A single parent means that that other parent is either left the scene entirely or left the state or does not engage with the family. And you truly are a 24-7, virtually all the time single parent. Whereas those of us who have a co-parent, like myself, a really capable, competent, wonderful, invested co-parent, it means that I have 50% of this time that's also mine. And that's typically then where we are able in our divorced identity to get the groceries done, get the laundry done, get the house in order, go on that trip, go visit those friends, celebrate that birthday, work on the project. So that when my children come back into my residence, all of those other distractions, all those other kind of life chores, I've tried to satisfy so that all my focus 
can go to the child. And more than once I've heard people say, gosh, I really feel like the, even though the quantity of my parenting time has been reduced, the quality of my parenting time has actually improved. So back to this special occasion opportunity, which might be my child is in residence with the other parent, but on Friday night, it's always out to dinner night and we each take a child or we take two. Um, or it's one special occasion night if there's one child between you and that um, in those occasions. And if you have multiple children still trying to find one-on-one time where that child does not have to negotiate with their siblings, where are we going? Are we getting French fries with or without the garlic sauce? All the little micro ways that throughout the day we negotiate when there's more cooks in the kitchen. And what a relief it can be for your child, especially if there is multiples where they just have one parent, one-on-one, and anything, well, I was going to say anything goes, but we know that's not true. Um, But it's for them to be the decider. And that can be really empowering. And other conversations can bubble up with the parent in those conditions. And we want to encourage that space where we're having an ongoing conversation with our children about how is life in two homes? What can we do differently? And there may be something that they would share with you that they may not share with their other parent. Um, And then I always like to find a way for transparency to help each parent be successful right? We kind of forget that we're still on the same team when it comes to our kids. So if you know that an event is happening on Friday of this week and they need to have these special clothes and the other parent maybe didn't read that email because they were off duty when all that information came through, well, by golly, you know, be a great co-parent and send a flare, send a reminder message. Hey, you're probably on top of this. Concert is on Friday. Need to have black socks and black shoes and make sure hair is pulled out of their face, whatever it might be. Because when you send your child to school and that other parent wasn't prepared, now it's just your child that's not prepared. And they're the ones who have to show up to school and then manage that. So be each other. I'm going to use, I'm going to use a very strong word here, folks. Be each other's backseat driver. I know we hate backseat drivers. We don't want anyone telling us what to do or how to do it differently. And we usually tell our backseat drivers like, hey, nip it. I'm going to pull this car over. You you can go your own direction. Well, I certainly know in my life, there has been more than one occasion when it's the passenger who sees something that the driver doesn't. And if we look at that passenger, not as passive, but engaged in helping me to see what I don't otherwise see. But we have to, well, we have to humble ourselves to recognize that we have blind spots. We have to humble ourselves to receive that kind of support from our former spouse. And it can be transformative, not in a way that's micromanaging, more in a, hey, public service announcement, not sure if you caught this, want to make sure that you and our child are all prepared for the special field trip that's taking place this week, or there is still. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit more about communication today. Um, But that is an important side note in terms of uh, transitioning and making sure that we're not missing things. So the last thing I'm going to talk about before our break is just holidays and vacations and summer often in a parenting plan, there will be a stipulation. So let's say you're just doing week on week off 
And um, from that point, you want to take your child on a really big trip that's maybe two weeks long or 10 days or 12 days. So we'll often put a stipulation in the parenting plan that each parent has the right and opportunity for an extended vacation once a year or twice a year. Again, you get to design that. There's going to be boilerplate information everywhere, but you have the luxury of designing your divorce, including the schedule that's going to work best for you and your children. So stay tuned. We're going to come back and talk more about what it is to be one family living across two homes, scheduling, transitioning, and communicating. I'm Karen, your good divorce coach. Stay tuned. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Are you thinking about getting divorced? Before you call a lawyer, call the good divorce coach, Karen McNenny, a certified divorce counselor, co-parenting specialist, and mediator. Karen's signature good divorce experience will guide you through your divorce journey from the day you make that difficult decision to the day the decree is signed, all for a predictable fee. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to get divorced and be divorced with less conflict and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNenny. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello and welcome back to The Good Divorce Show. I'm Karen McNenny, your Good Divorce Coach. And if you are joining us for the first time, this is where we highlight we, meaning me, but often with guests, professionals, other families. But today it's just me, Coffee Talk. And I am taking on one of the most key essential parts of the divorced life. The paperwork is done. You've seen the lawyers. It's over. All the bills have been paid off. And you are now in your new normal, which is one family living across two homes. And that is the language I always like to use with my clients that I personally coach through this process. We may start in the before and then we get through the during, but now there's the after divorce. So once you have a schedule that has been established, and I remind people, this is going to change over time, and it might even change sometimes month to month, depending on the parents. You know, there may be a standard. We do week on, week off, but then occasionally we have to deviate because a business trip comes up, or maybe there's 
uh, a family needs somewhere else in the extended family and parent needs to travel or parent gets really sick and, and actually can't care for the children. So that's the kind of flexibility that we want to bring to the plan. And if you're a family that says, we don't even need a parenting plan, we're just going to be all flexible all the time. That's fine. I would suggest that by the 15th of the previous month, you always have what the next schedule is going to be. So by August 15th, we know what September is going to look like. And then by September 15th, we know what October is going to look like at a minimum. This allows the kids to prepare, keeping a calendar in both homes that's maybe color-coded, or if your children are old enough and they have electronic calendars, get their schedule in there so that when they're planning playdates or they're planning uh, carpool or they're planning slumber parties, they know where they're going to be. And you also know where you're going to be and what your parenting assignments might be. So in the last segment, I was talking about all the different variations of time frame and the ways that you can build your schedule out. And I started by saying that early on in my journey, my kids were five and seven, and a parent had said that their kids were starting to do a month on and a month off. And I thought that was outrageous. I couldn't even imagine such a thing. Well, funny enough, 12 years later, our daughter has now launched to college. Our son is a junior. And over the summer, we did a month and a month, a month on and a month off. Now, our kids drive. We live six blocks apart. They, have of course, have personal belongings in both places. Sometimes they're just in the mood to hang out somewhere else. So they it's like a swinging door around here, which I love. We know when they'll be in residence, right? Which for me means I need to have enough groceries in the refrigerator, not only to feed the growing six foot two son, but also to feed all the friends that come along with the son or the daughter who still likes to come home from college. She is in town and pop in and raid the fridge. So these are the things that we want to be aware of, but knowing suddenly a month on month off for kids that are in their late teens and drive and you live close together, that that doesn't seem bizarre at all. But if you're listening and you have a five-year-old, of course, that sounds just not appropriate. Now, sometimes we have a parent who lives out of state. And so we might do longer stretches in the summertime or maybe even over a holiday break. The thing I want to emphasize the most to you today is that, again, do not do divorce by default. Design your divorce There is no divorce police that's going around with their clipboard and keeping track or telling you what you can and cannot do. That's between you and your amicable co-parent, hopefully. Now, if you cannot come to agreement, then you start getting lawyers and the court involved, which honestly, you should always try to avoid. Nobody wants that. And we certainly don't want to put our kids in the middle of a legal dispute. So flexibility will go a long way. Know that even if your parenting plan says one thing, but parent calls and says, I'm really getting the flu and coming down. Can you keep our kids two extra days? Or, hey, my sister just planned a trip to come and visit. I would love the kids to be able to spend time with their aunt and uncle and cousins. It's during your residential time. Could we make some accommodations or adjustment? And hopefully the answer is, oh yeah, let's look at that. 
and we're looking for overall balance. If you're a 50-50 split, it could be some other arrangement. Maybe it's a 70-30, but you're going to really support your future relationship by being accommodating and flexible in the present. So you get your schedule, you're dialed in, you know that things may shift and change over time with the age of your kids, as well as accommodating those occasional uh, times when parents have conflicts. Let's talk about the transitions intentionally. There is something about transition day, and I would say this this can go on for years and years, that it's just a loaded time for the parents, for the kids. I have one client, we used to talk about transitions and she had a habit as soon as the kids left the house, she's like, oh, it's amazing. I can clean everything, put everything away uh, and, um, and, and everything is nice and tidy for the week. And then the kids would come back and they're like, where's my... Lego sculpture that I built, or where's the fort that was under the dining room table, or what happened to my dollhouse that I had all the rooms laid out. And what we found is that mom was actually erasing the children. Now, maybe you have a rule, everything gets tidied up and put away before they leave. But I also want you to think about your home being a little bit of a time warp or a time capsule. And so let's say your kids do build a fort or they have built a fairy house or they have a big Lego structure. If it can be in an area and part of the house where it's not going to be obtrusive to you or future activity in the week, I would say leave it like a little time capsule. So when they come back, they're re-entering the same time and place that they left. Now, that may not work for you for a variety of reasons, and that's for you to decide and then have a conversation with your kids before they leave. So they're part of their own put away. So watching about erasing. And the other thing that would then happen with that mom is she would erase the kids, everything would get in order, and then the kids would show up and start exploding because that's often what they do. And they're coming with gear, And they're coming with backpacks and everything's going everywhere. And there would be like 24 hours of tension between mom and child. Oh, and now they want to eat again. Oh, wouldn't you know that every darn day these kids want to eat, right? She had gotten accustomed to just going out or eating chips and salsa at the kitchen counter. I'm sure there's more than one of us. That's been one of my popular single meals standing at the kitchen counter. And you have to get back into the rhythm. So there's an adjustment you know, and your homes themselves might also be very different. One might be a little larger than the other. Maybe one is more tidy. Maybe one has a little more fluid um, ease to it. Whereas one might be a little more uptight, like we have energy in our home. I mean, there's some people who end up divorcing in, in part, you know, it's never one thing, but they were never good roommates, you know, parents that really live wildly different lives in their habitat. So keep in mind, your kids are changing their habitat, not only their physical environment, maybe at one house, they have their own room and at another house, they share a room with a sibling. Maybe they're upstairs with windows, maybe they're downstairs. So there's that adjustment in the physical environment, 
But then there's all the invisible things as well. Expectations around chores. Maybe at one house, there's a lot of chores in the other house. Eh, not so much for whatever reason. Um, Maybe uh, bedtime or screen time or homework time looks different across houses. Again, to the best of your ability, what we're trying to create is consistency for the kids and consistency of expectation. So that means you and your co-parent still need to make some agreements, just like you did in your own house. Now, for those of you saying, oh my gosh, not only were we terrible housemates, we were not great co-parents because we had wildly different ideas of what should be expected by of our kids and what bedtime should be. And right. There's mom's way and there's dad's way, or maybe it's mom and mom and dad and dad. It, it Two parents aren't always going to be perfectly aligned. So even if you were not aligned under one roof, you have a second chance to get some alignment. Now you are not in charge of your former spouse's house and what goes on there and what they eat or their bedtime or any of that. You cannot micromanage the other house. Trust me, I've tried. Oh, I'm kidding. Well, not really. I grew out of it, okay? However, what you can do rather than undermining or being passive aggressive or overly aggressive, you can actually just have a mature adult-adult relationship and share with your co-parent what you're noticing with the kids, or, you know, maybe their grades are shifting um, up and down, up and down each week. Uh, I had one family where we could really measure it because there was like a weekly spelling quiz and a weekly math uh, challenge. And one week their child would do really well. And the next week it would not be so great. And then one week they would do well. And then one week, not so great. And come to find out they weren't even aware of that till they sat down in their parent-teacher conference and recognized there was this inconsistency, which aligned to the households. And one parent was more devoted um, and helpful in keeping that child prepared and on top of their homework and ready for their tests and quizzes. And the other parent was a little more lackadaisical. And so that that was a client who came back to me. I mean, you know, they had already been divorced for a couple of years, but they were bumping into new problems because when they got divorced, there was no homework. Another couple, when they got divorced, there were no cars. So also recognize that your family at any time might need a tune-up, might need a family tune up because your children are evolving. And so the parenting that's required of us is also going to evolve. Other things to think about on transition day. So know that they're changing habitat. Know that there is a different environment of expectation, potentially, even if you have agreements and you run your households pretty similar, um, mealtime, bedtime, chores, all of those things more consistent, or at least in the same neighborhood. But there's also the stuff. And I've said it before, and I will say it again. Do not send your kids to school with a suitcase or overstuffed backpack with all their things that are going to go to their other residential home after school. That is the responsibility of the parents. Unless there are extenuating circumstances, in which case, please call me, go to thegooddivorcecoach.com. Let's get a consult and find a solution that doesn't require your children to be a U-Haul every week or every other day, whatever the case may be. Now, 
Ideally, we want to try and duplicate most belongings in both homes, which really starts with clothing. Um, It may not be dual sets of shoes. You know, some families, we've got one pair of shoes and that's the shoes we wear every day. But can we duplicate um, underclothes? Can we duplicate uh, pants and tops, jackets and mittens? Those are probably going to be one set that are going between homes, those things. Bicycles, we can't duplicate everything, but toothbrushes, vitamins, hair brushes, hair ties, um, and then helping the child with anything that might feel special. And we just got a bunch of big uh, totes and we'd have one big tote. And the night before we'd ask the kids any special books, any special toys. Oh, we've got baseball this week. Oh, you've got dance class right? Extracurricular um, equipment, gear, dress, that can also go in the tote. And then that parent, the residential parent, it is your responsibility to get those things or make arrangements to get those things to the other house. So when the children arrive, their things are already there. And then when you get into hockey, or maybe it's downhill skiing, or we've got bicycles, same thing. We're going to try and find a way for that transition to almost happen in an invisible fashion to the kids. Like their stuff just shows up. And if in midweek they have forgotten something, by all means, do not shame or blame your child. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've heard about it. I've probably done it. What do you mean you don't have your mitt and your cleats? Of course, you have baseball this week. What were you thinking? Why weren't you thinking? Again, not their responsibility. It's our responsibility to have the list, communicate with our co-parent and make sure that items are being transitioned seamlessly from home to home. Also recognize that when it comes to discipline and expectation from a parent, we may be behaving, uh, we we may have different behaviors than our co-parent. And when our children re-enter every time it's a re-entry and a readjustment. And it might be a little prickly. It might be really clingy. Child might want to isolate. The important thing is for you to not take it personally. That's my Q tip for you. Q T I P quit taking it personally. It's an adjustment period for you and child lower your expectations for that first day or that first night and just recognize like we're all readjusting to this new space. And if you really see your child overly any behavior that kind of seems out of the norm, well then find the right time and and talk to them. I notice that when you come, you go right in your room and close your door. Help me understand more about that. I notice when you come, you're really clingy and kind of tearful. What's that about? Start with curiosity, never criticism, and try not to make it about yourself. You're just helping your kids to readjust. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about communication between our two homes as we design, as a result of our good divorce, one family living high function across two homes. Stay tuned. (music) 
Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNenny. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello and welcome back. I'm Karen McNenny, your Good Divorce Coach. We are chatting today about best practices to be one high-functioning family that lives across two homes, which really means your children, right? But if we can see it still as a family and not this uh, divide and conquer mom's house, dad's house, um, and never shall the two... Uh, mix, right? That's not in the best interest of your kids. In fact, I remember recently hearing uh, a story in which there were Christmas presents that little Johnny got and then wanted to take them to the other home. And the residential parents said, no, those Christmas presents are for this house. Now you may have good reason for doing such a thing, but I'm having a hard time finding what that might be. In general, if the kids have special things, especially presents after birthdays or holidays, and they want to be with those things, by all means, please let those things travel with your kids between homes and don't get possessive just because the other parent, hopefully if you've come out the other side of a good divorce, then that isn't something that you're going to have to be concerned about. Now, Communicating across two homes, because it's still going to happen, as you are, uh, those of you who have been listening to the Good Divorce Show for some time, you'll know I am famous for saying, the marriage has ended, the relationship has not. You just have a newly renovated relationship with your former spouse. And in the same way that you were building and trying to create communication tools inside one home, you now have to be even more diligent of what that's going to look like across two homes. So here's a couple different ideas. You may be aware there's a number of apps um, 
computer applications out there that you can download onto your phone that will help with everything. One that I'm familiar with is Family Wizard. I'm sure there are others. Um, we'll get a few things in the show notes for you so that you can explore those. And and these can be really useful if you're a tech-savvy family. The calendar can go in there, text messages, updates about the kids, financials. Um, it can be a great one-stop shop. But technology, that doesn't work for everyone or not everyone wants to be on their phone with that sort of business. So you can also, you know, just utilize email as a communication tool. Now, what about the things that need to go between homes that are not actually digital, such as a report card or artwork or a permission slip? So creating we happen to call it the boomerang folder because it would come and go back and come and go back between homes. And the kids knew we had a family boomerang folder. In fact, they started to decorate the front of it, family boomerang and the names of our houses. We have never used the language mom's house and dad's house. That was just an early sort of subtle decision uh, that we made. I think because I didn't want the homes to only belong to the parents. It's actually the children's homes. So we call them by their street names. Might be Raymond and Judy, Gilbert and Lily, uh, the Helen House, the Hamilton House, the Briggs Street House, whatever the case may be, using um, some other identifier that doesn't put possession to just mom's house and dad's house. Little teeny subtle thing. Doesn't make a big difference. I don't know. I've only done it one way, which is we really try to consistently just uh, name our homes so that our children don't feel like they're a visitor at mom's house or dad's house. So this boomerang folder is where we would put all of those tangible things. You know, maybe the kids come home and they've got six different beautiful pieces of art that they've created that week. And, and of course, the other parent would like to see that. And so maybe three of them go to the other house so that they can go on the refrigerator there. And so that the kids also see the same sort of um, visual indicators of their residence in those homes, like artwork, like family photos. Um, my children have always had photos of me in their other home. And vice versa. There's always been photos of their dad here in my home. Now, it's not next to my bed and it's not on my mirror in my bathroom. It's in their spaces. But when they were young, it was important that there was still a visual connection to the family and the other parent. Communication uh, also from time to time needs to be either face-to-face -face or phone-to-phone. And that might be when a child were making a big medical decision, or maybe it's a disciplinary, or we're worried about behaviors. And I think anytime something has an emotional component or is of great consequence, we should get it off the digital platform and voice to voice minimum without hijacking a situation. So for instance, the parent who drops the child off at the new home and then wants to have a meeting in the front yard with dad about A, B, C, D, that's not the time to do it. And you haven't given your co-parent any time to process or be prepared for what might be coming. So having an agenda for uh, 
parent conversations, co-parenting conversations, when literally you get on the phone and whether that's for 30 minutes or an hour or 20 minutes and you do a check-in, uh, what, what's happening in your home with behavior. I've noticed that our daughter's having trouble sleeping. Are you seeing the same thing in your home? Oh, we're so excited. He, our son keeps talking about basketball. Have you been hearing this? Oh, let me catch you up. This is the conversation I had the other day. In many ways, it's what I think of as what used to be pillow talk. And no, not the raise your eyebrow pillow talk, but literally when parents crawl into bed, they're exhausted. The day is done and they're running through what was notable from today, what's happening tomorrow, what's ahead. We're taking care of the business of our co-parenting. And I think being intentional with that, and it can be difficult at first. Sometimes there's still high emotions post-divorce, but as as you can, as you are able to set these regular cadence of conversations to check in about your observations about your children, and you may be seeing different things, you may have different celebrations, and you might need to make some recommendations about, I think our child needs mental health support. I think our child really is more interested in baseball than basketball. And we're coming as that co-parenting team to do that. It can be helpful to send a note beforehand that says to your other co-parent, here are the four things that are on my mind regarding the kids. When can we set up a time to talk about them? Remember, you're now in the business of raising your children together. And the more you can think about that business relationship part, just like you would with a colleague at work, you know, there are some who just walk in the front door of your desk uh, office and plop themselves down and just hijack your moment. That's not good protocol. It's interruption. It's disrespectful. And it doesn't prepare anybody for the conversation. So in the same fashion, have an agenda set a time, put a time boundary on it. This is a really good one for those of us coming out of divorce because things can get hijacked. And if you just know we've got 30 minutes or we have 60 minutes or I have 15 minutes right now just to get information out, we can circle back, right? In all the same ways that you would communicate with a colleague. In terms of the kids, and what they're visually going to see from you, especially our school-age kids, highly recommend that you both attend one parent-teacher conference. Uh, I, I'm really proud of the couples I work with in the Good Divorce Experience because it's not even a question as I graduate them into their newly renovated life, one family, two homes, that they will, to the best of their ability, attend all important things for the kids together. And the children may not think parent-teacher conference is important, but the parents do. And it also allows the teacher to share some of those things that may be consistent or inconsistent or what needs to be happening across homes. Um, the other thing I want to remind you about in terms of communication is that if you do have a really hostile partner and you're getting some verbal abuse through communication, step one, especially in those early days, and, and hopefully it tapers off, time usually helps, but you might need a reader. 
You might need a ghostwriter. Sometimes that's what I'm doing for my clients. I'm reading those messages. I'm taking on all the vitriol and anger and upsetness that might be encased in what's three sentences of actual information that is needed. So I will dismiss all the vitriol and the you should have and you never did and how come and and try to repackage that into essential information that is value added to the family. And then on the converse, there might be a message that you are writing to your co-parent and you have some heat going on on that day and you are looking to pick a fight. Well, you might need to write that message and then you're going to send it to me and I'm going to edit it. And sometimes we just have to release the fire so that then we can actually get to the parts that matter the most, which is communicating just the details. And we're going to be brief and we're going to be concise and we're going to be polite um, and informational, but we are not going to continue to write essays back and forth to each other that explain all the reasons why we got divorced in the same, in the first place. We don't have to do that anymore. We already made that decision. None of those previous battles and those previous wounds need to be revisited. They do not add value to the future family. So in summation today on the Good Divorce Show, I hope that you have found some value as you think about what it is to be one family that lives across two homes, being really thoughtful about transitions. It's a loaded experience that can last for years. And that doesn't mean it has to be, you know, uh, disruptive every time, but know that it's significant, that that it's just notable and that you're supporting your kids on that. And the goal is that you really don't have to pack much and that your children do not become the U-Haul between their two homes. In terms of your schedule, be really sensitive in the age appropriateness of where you are. We generally do two and three days For kids under the age of three, you might bump to four for ages four and five. Once we're into kindergarten and school, kids can often then tolerate a week on, week off, which gives them a little bit of a longer stretch to settle into a space and into a rhythm with their parents. Sometimes it can take 24 hours to just adjust that rhythm and for the parent to readjust to the kids being in the house. So if it feels clunky for the first 24 hours in some fashion, just don't fight against it, be aware of it, support it. And when it comes to communication, think about a business relationship. I'm going to be courteous. I'm going to give enough notice. We talked about being a good backseat driver to each other, not micromanaging the other person's home. And trust me, there's going to be things going on in that other house that they're eating Twinkies for breakfast and Fruit Loops for dinner and staying up till midnight and gaming too much. And that may not be how you run your household. Hopefully you can come into agreement with your co-parent or that you had long enough together under one roof that the values and the joy and everything that you had dreamed for your children when they were born and you began to raise them together that that doesn't change. You still have the same values and dreams and hopes and wishes for your children's success and stability and joy. 
If you want to hear more or have support or your household needs a little tune-up, I hope you will reach out. I am Karen McNenny, your Good Divorce Coach, and you can find me at thegooddivorcecoach.com. And remember, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening. Do you have questions or thoughts about this week's episode? Let us know by following The Good Divorce Coach on Facebook and Instagram at Good Divorce Coach. And leave a comment. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific or listen anytime wherever you get your podcasts. 